So we are continuing this series that we started last week uh, on the life of David, and, and this series is titled David After God's Own Heart. And we saw last week as we were introduced to David as he uh, comes into the biblical story uh, in the middle of 1 Samuel. And again, Samuel was a prophet, and, and again, he heard from God, and then he then communicated those messages from God um, to, um, to originally to Saul, who was the first earthly king of Israel. Yeah, we looked at last week at where David falls in the, or in the history of, of the nation of Israel. Again, it started with the original covenant with Abraham, uh, and then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that, that God established a nation through their descendants. And the nation of Israel was to be set apart. It was supposed to be different. They were God's chosen people. And one of the things that set them apart, even after, uh, after Jacob, right, was that um, they had Joseph, which led them into Egypt, and then Moses led them out of Egypt, and, and Moses passes the baton onto Jacob, and Jacob takes them through the promised land as they conquered and settled in the promised land. And then they had a series of, of judges that ruled the nation because the nation was different. It was set apart, and they were different because they did not have an earthly king, right, that God was their king. And God led them again from heaven and then through these judges and prophets, God would lead this nation. And, and the nation reached this point in the nation of Israel where they, they had this feeling like many of us often have and that they didn't want to be different. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to be like everybody else. And so they begged God and asked for an earthly king. And so God granted that request eventually and gave them and anointed this man named Saul. Okay, and Saul was the first earthly king of Israel, and he started out really well. And, and he, he, he heard from God, and Samuel was his direct connection to God, and Samuel, as his top advisor, led him down this road and leading this nation to be God's people, and they, they, were, they were walking with God in ways, but, but yet Saul started to drift. And as we looked at it, even in our small group discussions this last week, that, that Saul did not um, just fall off, you know, uh, out of God's blessing. He, it was one small concession after another that got him to lead the nation away from God and what God wanted. And then we saw last week, right, that Saul finally crossed that line and God said, okay, I am removing my blessing from Saul and I'm going to give it to somebody new. Okay, and, when, and that's where we started last week. And as we see here in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, okay, where we see the biblical reputation of David, Okay, where it says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. Again, God replaced Saul with David because Saul didn't do everything that God wanted him to do. Right? And Saul, the more powerful he became the more prominent Israel became in the world, the more that power went to his head and the more that he drifted away from God and from doing the things that God asked him to do. And so he got replaced, right, by David, right? And David's, again, biblical reputation is he's the man after God's own heart, right? And he had a blessing and an anointing from God um, that we didn't see really in any other leader, I mean, throughout the Old Testament, again, he is one of the most prominent leaders of the Old Testament story, which is why, again, we're, we're looking at his life right through this series. And so last week we saw his anointing by Samuel and, and how, again, the, the baton of leadership started to pass from Saul 
over to David. Now, uh, David, as we saw last week, he was the youngest son of Jesse. Okay, and truthfully, before that moment, until we're introduced to him in 1 Ch- Samuel chapter 16, David is a nobody. He said he's the youngest of several sons. In fact, we saw last week, he was even an afterthought of his dad when he was told to bring all the sons, and, and they didn't even bring David, right? And, and we, we saw as David starts this process of leadership. Now, there was a transition period, and, and in fact, this long transition period between Saul's leadership to eventually where David becomes king of Israel. Okay, we saw that start last week. We're going to see today uh, how David gets thrust into the spotlight and suddenly he goes from a nobody to where everybody knows who David is in one event. And that's what we're going to study today because it is probably the most famous story of all of Scripture. Right? And it is the story of David and Goliath. And so last week, like I said, we started where David is introduced to us in 1 Samuel 16. And so today we're going to look at this story that is found in 1 Samuel 17. And so I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And that's going to be our text where we find this, this very familiar story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. If you, have, if you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets. You're welcome to use one of those. Um, you'll notice on the outline of the bulletin is the page numbers that where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Uh, so I encourage you to, to open up. Like I said, we're, and we are going to read the entire story from the text this morning because it is such a popular story. It is, it is quoted in our culture so many times. Again, if you don't know anything about the Bible at all, you will still know the story of David and Goliath, right? Because if you're, in fact, every time we watch a playoff sports situation, we hear some reference towards David and Goliath, right? And the underdog team. Okay, and so because of that, I want to literally just read it straight out of the text this morning, right? So that we get God's biblical version of this story, not our cultural version that we all hear from time to time. So we're going to jump into the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 1, okay, where it says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted and taunted across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will... We will be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. Saul and the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. All right, I want to pause in the story right there. Okay, as we kind of look at what we have here, the stage is set right, for this, this very popular and familiar story. 
right? Within these first few verses, we are introduced to, to Goliath and we are given his stats, right? Again, in, in any, you know, fight or a boxer or, or any type of sports situation where there is this, this epic battle about to go down, we hear the stats of the players, right? And here we get the stats of Goliath, right? And Goliath was huge. Goliath was powerful. Goliath was a proven champion, right? We see, um, again, he was nine feet tall, right? He was incredibly strong, right? He had, uh, you know, even as they tell us the the weight of his weapons that he could just whip around like there was nothing, right? Is this guy was huge, right? That's his stats, right? He's, he can be summed up in one word, right? And then we also are presented with the terms of the match. Right? Again, Goliath comes out and he's like, hey guys, there's no reason for us to, to fight in this traditional way and let all of our armies go at each other and, and both of us sustain these huge losses. Let's just set all that aside and, and I'm presenting a proposal to you. Right? And the proposal is this. I'm here to fight. You send out your champion. We'll just fight. Winner take all. One and done. It's over. Right? And he presents them the terms of the match. Right? But then as they hear this, we also see the reaction of the Israelite army and, and even the reaction of Saul, right, who was leading them, right? As we, as we see this, Goliath's size and the terms of the match are not the main issue here for our purposes today, right? The real issue that we are, are faced with in this situation is the fact that the Israelites focused on the earthly facts and they believed the lie that the enemy told them. The real issue was not Goliath. It was not his stats. It was not even the terms of the deal. Right? The real issue here that sets up the stage is the fact that the Israelite army, and Saul included, focused on the wrong things. And they, and they believed the lie that the enemy told them. Right? If we look back at the, at the text, right? if... if um, Again, we, we see all of the earthly facts of Goliath. He was huge. He was a proven champion, right? And this is exactly what he gives them, right? In verses eight, right? He calls out to them. He says, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul, right? And then he continues to taunt them, right? In verses 10 and 11, where he says, I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And there is the biggest problem in this story. They believe the lie. Okay, and the lie is right here in the text. I encourage you to circle the phrase on your outline that says, you are only the servants of Saul. Okay, circle that phrase. You are only the servants of Saul. Okay, then draw a line from that circle and in big, bold, capital letters, write the word lie. Because that is not true. Okay, it's a lie. They are not just the mere servants of Saul. But yet, they believed that from Goliath. As he said it, they believed it, right? Because their reaction shows that they believed it. Because they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. Right? So that is the first mistake, right, that is made in this story. Right? But then, as the stage is set, then David suddenly shows up, right, as the story continues. We're going to continue to read the story in verse 12. 
there where it says, now David was the son of a man named Jesse and, and, and Aphrodite from Bethlehem, the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. And David's brothers were with Saul and, and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyways? He's demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taken care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. And then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. So here David shows up, right, on this errand from his, from his dad. I said, hey, go take the stuff to your brothers. Take the stuff to their commanding officer. See how they're doing. Come back and give me a report. So David shows up, right, and, and he hears Goliath come out. Now, now, notice they've heard this taunting of Goliath not just one or two times. I don't know if you caught the timeline. It's been 40 days that they've been at this standstill. Right? The same thing happens every day. They, they line up, they're going to go out and battle, and then Goliath comes out and is like, let's not do this silly battle thing. Just, I'm the champion, come out, you're just the mere, mere servants of Saul, and on and on and on he goes, right? And, and everybody freaks out every day and goes running back to their tents. Right? Now David, this time David hears what he says, right? And David gives a very different reaction, right? Because the Israel army is, right, focused on the earthly facts of who Goliath was and on the lie that he presented to them. And yet David focused on the truth of God. Again, he didn't believe what Goliath said about them. He instead looked at this situation and was like, you guys are crazy. Why are you reacting this way? Why are you even allowing this guy to continue to mock our nation and our God? 
Why are you believing what he's telling us? It's not the truth at all. As we see in verse 26, right? He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? He's allowing, he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Again, David didn't focus on the lie that the enemy told him. He focused on the truth of who God was. Again, now circle the phrase, armies of the living God. Circle that phrase. And next to that circle in big, bold letters, write truth. That's the truth. They were not mere servants of Saul. Right? They were the army of the living God. That's a very different perspective. Right? And what we do with that information is also very different. Right, the way we react to the lie of the enemy, right, is they run and they, they freak out and, and they just, oh, we're doomed. Right? And yet David presents them with a different perspective. In fact, David couldn't believe that Goliath was being allowed to taunt and defy God, not just once or twice, but for over a month. It's like, are you kidding me? Why are we reacting this way? And then we see then what David does next. Right? As, as Saul right, um, says, come to me. So then David comes to him, picking up the story in verse 32. Where he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and to bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. And then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. And then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Again, now we're going to pause once again there and look at again, what did David do now as he, he focuses on the truth? He gets into this exchange with Saul back and forth. I'm like, hey, I'll go fight him. And Saul's like, no, you can't do that. Right. And they go back and forth here for a few moments. But these verses 32 through 40 are a huge foreshadowing within this story of what about is to go down for the whole nation of Israel. Okay, this exchange between David and Saul, okay, again, truly sums up this huge struggle between these two men that, that, that continues on through the next 20 plus chapters of scripture. Okay, and these, these few verses right here, verses 32 to 40, foreshadows everything that's about to happen between these two guys. Okay, and, and again, it gives us a very vivid picture of how differently David is going to lead the nation from how Saul did. 
right? And we see this, right? I mean, here, Saul's like, okay, fine, God be with you. And then he, he, but you have to do it my way. And David's like, I can't do it your way, right? Your way doesn't work, right? And he says, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way that, that God is leading me. And so David, again, saw the whole situation very differently, right? Israel, the whole army of Israel, as well as Saul, right? They saw a problem. And yet David saw an opportunity, right? David saw an opportunity when everyone else saw sure defeat. They looked at this situation like, there's no way we can win. And David's looking at it like, there's no way we can't win. This is actually a really good thing for us, right? We don't have to go and put our armies and, and end up with all these casualties and, and on both sides, all these things. It's like, this is great. We just have to beat this one guy. Right, this is a good deal for us. Why are we not taking advantage of this deal? This is an opportunity. Right, and David saw that opportunity. Right, as the whole army of Israel shook with fear at this proposal, David saw it as a chance for an easy victory. Right, we see again in his attitude in verse 32, right, when he comes to Saul and he's like, don't worry about this Philistine, I'll go fight him. Right, you don't have to worry about it at all, Saul. Right, I'll... I'll take care of it. Let me take care of it, right? I'll bring a whole different, you know, perspective into this whole situation, right? I'm going to put this guy in his place because he's not just messing with us. He's messing with God, right? And we can't allow him to do that anymore, right? As David comes to Saul and, and in this exchange, I'll tell you, is, is I see a very confident young man coming to Saul. Now, with that said, as I will say, is there, there's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance, right? And, and David is coming to him as very confident in his ability and who God made him and, 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 and how God made him and the abilities he has. And he's like, we can, I can take care of this guy, right? But there's a very fine line between confidence and arrogance. And, and truthfully, David's kind of flirting with it, right? As he addresses the king. And as we see this though, right? The, the, the reason that we can see that David here is confident and really not arrogant, even though he's kind of toying that line, but I don't believe he's coming in arrogance, right? Because David also relied on how God made him, not how others defined him. Right? He was focused on who he was, the abilities that God gave him, the way that God made him, not the way that everybody else was trying to define him. In fact, we see through this story that others were trying to redefine who David was. And they continued to tell David what they thought of him. In fact, we see the first person that tries to define who David is was his older brother, right? A few verses back, we see how, how, how Eliab tried to define David, right? In verse 28, he says, again, Eliab, his brother, demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Again, to Eliab was defining him as that annoying little brother that just won't go away, right? He's like, and, and you, you think you're better than you are. Right, but I see right through you. Right, and we all know how we treat our siblings. Right, and we see here his older brother, right, is trying to redefine for who David is and saying, God, just again, he's accusing him of his arrogance right here, right? And David's like, No, that's not who I am. That's not who, how God made me. Right, I'm here for a completely different reason. Right, again, you can just you can imagine this. I'm sure there was probably more exchange between the brothers here than what was recorded. 
right? I, I, I can imagine, right? Well, no, I'm here because dad told me to. You know, I did. You can, you can, we can fill in the blanks, right? Right, so he, he tries to define him, but David didn't let his brother define him or to label him in that way, right? Again, Saul even tries to label him, right? In verse 33, Saul tells him, he's like, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy and he's a man of war since his youth. Again, he's looking at him. He's like, this guy's a proven champion, right? I don't even know who you are, right? There's no way you can win. Again, Saul tries to label him. In fact, even when he goes out and where he left the story, right, is David finally gets Saul's blessing and he runs out there to fight the Philistine. And as soon as he meets Goliath, Goliath continues down the same path in labeling David and talking trash in his face, right? Which is exactly then what Goliath does in verses 41 through 44. Right, where Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And again, now Goliath can talk some trash. Right here, he's, he's face to face. Now somebody's finally gonna, gonna fight him. Right? And Goliath comes out in complete arrogance right? and starts talking to him. And he'd be like, oh, are you kidding me? Like here, I've been taunting you for over a month and this is what comes. Right? Again, Goliath is like, this isn't even going to be a fight. But David does not believe the label that Goliath tries to put on him either. Right? David does not let anybody else label him. Right? He focuses on the way that God defines him. Right, and so then we see then the this, this story continues, picking up at verse 45. Here it says, Then David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, but not with sword and spear. That is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. As we see now, uh, again, as, as David, you know, um, defines himself by the way that God defines him, and, and he's not labeled by his brother or by Saul or even by Goliath, right? And then and everything hits the fan, Right, and Goliath comes running at him, and what does David do? He does exactly the opposite of what all the entire army has been doing for over a month. Right, when Goliath advances, the, the whole army has been retreating. And yet this time, when Goliath comes towards David, David runs at him with everything he has. Right, he goes in the opposite direction of everybody else. Right, and, and he goes and he takes his sling. Right, and, and David uses his ability Right, the ability that God has given him, right, and the things that he's comfortable with and where he has, he, David used 
his ability as well as God's power, and he takes down the giant. Right? David uses his own ability as well as God's power, and he takes down the giant. Again, David had this, this good focused ability with this sling and a stone. Right? This was not an accident or a fluke. It was not something that like David just like, oh, I guess I'll use this. What's this? I know David had practiced. He had trained. He had experience with this weapon and he used his ability to the max that it could be used at. Right? David did everything that he could do right, with that weapon and with the things that he was comfortable with, with how God made him. And then he let God fill in the gaps where he wasn't there. Notice that in the text, right, it points out that David did not have a sword. Right now, remember, Saul tried to give him a sword. Right, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it the way that God made me. I'm going to, you know, go through this. He didn't take a sword. But then, then God uses what Goliath thought was powerful to be his ultimate demise. Right, as he is then killed with his own sword. Right, David had confidence in his ability and he still completely relied on God's power. Right, and we see, again, his intent. Again, this is where we see the line between confidence and arrogance, right? Is what did David say? He said, today the Lord will conquer you and, and I will kill you and cut off your head. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Right, if David was acting in arrogance, he would have said, and the whole world will suddenly now know who I am. Right, and that's not what he said, right? Who got the glory? God did. Right, David gave the glory where the glory was due. Right, David used his own ability, but yet he said, no, this is about God, and that's where his focus was. God received the glory, and that was David's intention the entire time. David gave credit to God where the credit belonged. And yet, upon this victory, David is now thrust into the spotlight, right? As we know, before this time, right, David was an afterthought. Nobody even knew who this guy was. And now all of a sudden, everybody knows who David is, right? And we see the conclusion of this story here as we continue the story, picking up at the second part of verse 51, right? Where it says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sheriam as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israel army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. And as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. Well, find out who he is, the king told him. And as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your, your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. And so we see again this conclusion of the story, right? And how again, here, this, upon this victory, David gets thrust into the spotlight. Before this, no one really noticed David, right? Even Saul himself, who had had a few different interactions with David up until this point, still didn't even really know who he was, right? But yet, after Goliath, everyone knew who David was, right? And now we start to see the power shift, 
right, from Saul towards David. All right, and next week, we're going to look at this next kind of phase of this power shift and, and, and how it all happens. And again, and it's not pretty, which we're going to see next week as well. Okay, but with that said, right, is now what do we learn from this time in David's life? As we're going to ask this question with, with every phase of his life, right, how does the life of David help me in my faith journey? So how does this story, this, this incredible victory by David of him being, being thrust from a nobody to an everybody knows him, right, as he goes quickly into the spotlight, how does this help my faith journey today? Well, we can learn from David on how to, to truly face a giant in our life, okay, because David, again, does it God's way, and obviously he finds victory because God leads him through it. All right, so again, we face different giants in our life. Now, my guess, again, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know what your faith journey looks like, but my guess is that you have faced a giant probably sometime in your past, and you're probably going to face a giant sometime moving forward. My guess is that giant is not a nine-foot tall soldier, right? But those giants can take on all kinds of different forms in our life. Sometimes those giants come with a job loss. Sometimes those giants come with a struggling family member or family issues. Sometimes those giants look like a medical emergency or a long-term illness. Sometimes those giants look like an addiction that you just can't shake. Sometimes those giants look like a financial goal that you just don't think you'll ever meet. I don't know what giants you are facing in your life, but Davis gives, David gives us some pretty specific steps to follow to defeat whatever giant you're come face to face with. Right? And the first thing is this, is when I face a giant, the first thing I need to do is I need to fill my head with truth. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the, even the lies that come from my own mind. Right? But believe the truth that comes from God. Because our world is full of lies, but God is truth. And we have to listen to God and his voice. And God's word is our best source of known truth. Because truth is God's character. It is who God is. Right? And the more we learn about God, the more we learn about his truth. And the more we learn about the truth of even who we are. Right? And I need to fill my head with that truth when I face a giant. And then the next thing is as I fill my, my head with that truth, I, I get to gain a different perspective about life, and, and which is the next step that David shows us, is that I find the opportunity to advance when I face this giant. Right? I, I need to find the opportunity to, to actually move forward in my life and in my faith when I face a giant. Facing a giant is not always a bad thing. We tend to, to get, come up with a giant and then we, we feel defeated before we ever start and, and we, we focus on the negative, right? But yet we instead, through the power of God and his love, can focus on the opportunity that is in front of us. An example, right? If I'm, I, I suddenly lose my job unexpectedly, well, the opportunity is now I'm free to go find a better one. Right, or I can focus on the fact that I just lost the one I had. And I didn't even like it in the first place. 
I really focus on the opportunity that's in front of me when I face this giant. And then the next thing is number three is to, to let God define my identity. Again, I don't listen to other people. I don't listen to the world. I don't listen to the enemy if they try to define me or, or paint me into a corner or put me in a box. Right? I focus on how God made me. Because everyone has an opinion about everything. Right? And if you're not sure that that's true in our world, just spend five minutes on social media and you'll know that's true. Everyone has an opinion about everything. Right? But it's my choice whether I listen to what they say or not. And whether I let their opinions define me. Right? As we saw in last week's message, right, God sees your potential, not your current condition. Right? And the fact is God created us. And therefore, God has the right to define us. Right? And the way that God defines our identity in Scripture is that we are a child of the one true king. And that's our true identity as followers of Jesus. I'm a child of the one true king. And as a child of the one true king, I can find victory through whatever giant I find, I face, no matter what is in front of me. Right? Is let God define who I am. Not other people, not the world, but God. And then I have to do everything that I can do in facing that giant. Right? What abilities do I have? What, what, what tools are in front of me? Right? What, what has, how has God made me and wired me and, and what abilities has he given me? And, and then I use everything that I have at my disposal and do everything I can do in that situation. Right? As we see again, David right, took who he was, and, and he ran at the giants, right? And he used the abilities that he had. Again, the truth is that facing a giant can easily turn into an excuse to do nothing, right? We face a giant, and we get scared, and we cower, and we end up doing nothing. But yet, God says, no, do everything you can do. Rise to the challenge, right? And do everything you can do. And when I do everything that I can do, then it leads me then to step five, and that is to rely on God to do what I can't do. I do everything I can do as I face that giant, and then I rely on God to fill in the gaps. Right? And God will provide, and God will lead, and, and God will, will take the situation and turn it completely around. Again, David went into the fight without a sword, right? And yet then God gave him Goliath's sword to finish the job. Right? And God does have a sense of humor, right, sometimes. Right? The trap that was supposed to kill David ended up being the one that killed Goliath. Right? And yet, as we do everything we can do, we trust God to fill in the gaps. And sometimes God does that through a huge miracle, and sometimes God does that through some really subtle details. Right? But it's all God's work. Right? And he works in all kinds of ways. And as we do that, as we face the giant, we need to remember that with God, the math never makes sense. Okay, with God, the math never makes sense. Okay, when it comes to my finances, it, if I do it God's way, the math doesn't make sense. Right? When it comes to my family, if I leave my family the way that God tells me, it doesn't make sense, but yet somehow it works out. Right? When I face an illness and the doctor says that it is, is uncurable, and yet I end up living years past what they tell me. It's because the math doesn't make sense with God. 
right? No, when we face those giants that the math doesn't make sense, but God does, right? And God's power will fill in the gaps. And when we realize that the math doesn't make sense, we look back at it and say, well, it doesn't have to make sense because God does and God is in control and God can do whatever he wants to do, right? If I do everything I can do, then God will do what I can't do, right? And I'm gonna focus on my identity in the way that God defines me, right? And I'm going to, uh, again, look at the opportunity that God has in front of me. Uh, I'm going to focus on the truth of who God is and how he made me. And that with his power and everything I can do, I will find victory in those giants I face. Which leads us into my final thought this morning. And it comes out of Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. The words of Jesus tells us, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Again, with God, as we face whatever giant we face, that nothing is impossible with God's power. Okay, whatever giant you're facing today in your life and your faith, I hope that you will face it the way David faced Goliath. Right, and then we will find victory in the way that David found victory. All right, as we follow his example right, of how to face a giant God's way. Lord God, that's our prayer today. God, that we love you because you love us. And God, when we face a giant in our life, Lord, we can rely on your love. God, the fact that you're with us. God, that compared to your love, everything else seems to fade away. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would guide each one of us and help us this week as we face the giants in our life. God, that we wouldn't do it with just our own ability. God, that we would do it with your power. God, that we would be fueled by your love. And God, as we face our giants, as we find that victory, God, help us to do exactly what David did and give the glory where the glory is due, and that is to you. God, that we would shine your love and your light in this world, Lord, as we face our giants and help others with theirs. Or guide us as we go this week, as we serve you with everything we have. Kind of rely on your power to fill in the gaps where we fall short. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Guide us as we go this week, as we face our giants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.